Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this evening when we long to gather together around your table and yet we have to be apart. We pray that nonetheless you will feed us with your word, that you will draw us ever closer together, and that you will help us to uh, learn what it is that you would have us do in these circumstances, how to love our neighbor, how to be your servants, how to bow humbly before you. And now we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, my daughter was about four or five years old, and she was coming out of our Maundy Thursday service, the church now in darkness after the stripping of the altar, and, and she was just in line, you know, the way the parishioners do after a service. And when she got to me, she looked up at me with very big eyes and she said, Pastor, that was incredible. And she was right. The Monday Thursday service is incredible. There's so much going on in the lessons and the actions, the powerful recollection of the Passover and the judgment of God on the Egyptians, the intimacy of the institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper, the humility of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, the desolation expressed by the stripping of the altar. It is incredible. And it's always been my favorite of all the Holy Week liturgies. It was at a Maundy Thursday service that I received my first communion as a young boy. Maundy Thursday service in the congregation in which I grew up is actually my most vivid memory of worship from my teenage years. Uh, all the years that I served as a parish pastor, uh, Maundy Thursday was always the, the best attended and uh, the most uh, the most wonderful of all the Holy Week services as, as far as I was concerned. And all of that makes this night, this Monday Thursday, so very painful for me this year. I think of the line from Psalm 137, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How shall we observe this night when we are kept from the Eucharist? How shall we keep this night when we are banned from washing the, sheet, the feet of our brothers and sisters and kneeling at the Lord's table with them? And so I, I have to reframe this for myself. Something I've been doing a lot of lately, we seem to have to reframe the way we think about things. And perhaps it helps to, to think about how our experience of this night echoes that of the disciples. Consider what it was like for them. I don't really know how things were in Jerusalem that night, but I suspect fear was in the air, especially for the disciples as the authorities ramped up their conspiracy against Jesus. As Galilean country folks, perhaps even just being in the city was new for them, new and scary, and, and it is disorienting. You, you know that feeling of being in a place you've never been before and you don't know the geography and you don't know which way you're supposed to go becomes even worse if you're in a foreign place where no one seems to speak your language. And of course, in, in Jerusalem on that uh, night right before the Passover, uh, there were many, many languages that you would hear on the street. And so that was disorienting. And, and now in addition to all this disorientation and fear, the disciples are are hunkered down, locked in an upper room. 
And in the midst of this, they gather together to share a meal. Biblical scholars debate whether this was the Passover meal proper, as Matthew, Mark, and Luke suggest, or if it was the night before the Passover, as John would have it. But no matter, they are gathering these 12 friends and their master, perhaps others, gathering to share a meal as they have done many times before. It is a a note of familiarity, an anchor in a world that seems to be spinning out of control. And then the twist. Jesus gets up from the table, takes off his outer robe, ties a towel around himself, pours water into a basin, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. His actions are calm, deliberate, and completely unanticipated. They did not expect this. It was common in that place and time where roads were dusty and people wore sandals to be given water for washing your feet when you entered a house. Usually you washed your own, If your host was wealthy enough to have servants, maybe one of them would do it for you. But that was when you first came in, not in the middle of dinner. And that was the unpleasant task of a servant, not your host, certainly not your teacher, your master, your Lord. So they did not expect it. It shakes them out of their own thoughts. It it shakes those who Luke tells us are talking again about who was the greatest. Shakes Peter, who always seems to be thinking about himself and his role. Shakes Judas, who has already decided to betray Jesus. Suddenly here is Jesus kneeling before each of them, serving them, demonstrating his love for them, showing them that real love means humility. And now here we are, hunkered down, afraid to go out. And there's more than just fear in the air, or at least that's how we feel. It certainly seems like we're in an unfamiliar place, a foreign land, a a city with frightening noises and shadows and unseen dangers. We cannot understand the voices around us, not because they speak a different language, but because we seem to hear so much contradictory information or rapidly changing advice. We cannot be with those we love, or, or maybe we are with those who are closest to us, but there are others that we long to see whom we cannot. Some of us are completely alone. All of us are lost in thoughts that we never thought we'd have to think. And in the midst of this, Jesus does something surprising. He calmly, deliberately takes a basin of water and begins to wash our feet. For us, this night in this time, that can only be a metaphor, but for us hunkered down ones, for us who feel lost in a foreign place, it is our souls that are dusty and tired, not our feet, our spirits that are weary from what already seems like too long a journey, And that is what Jesus washes.
not our feet, but our spirits, our souls. And it's unexpected, but it is real. And notice that he does this calmly for us as for the disciples. The world outside is in turmoil, maybe not literally right here where we live, at least not at the moment, thanks be to God. But the chaos invades our hearts and our lives daily, and we know that we are not immune. But in the midst of it, this calm. I wonder if the disciples thought back to when Jesus calmed the storm on the sea. I wonder if his deliberate and gentle demeanor now stilled the storm in their hearts, their, their roiling fears about what was to come. And his words, I suspect maybe the disciples were relieved when he said, you do not know now what I am doing. Indeed, they didn't know. They, they didn't get it. But his words were all too clear. If I, your Lord and Master, your Lord and Teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. And the words, together with the gesture, say that love is about humility and service. And so it is for us, my dear sisters and brothers. The love of Christ, the love that washes over our weary souls, that love is shown in humility and service. It it is always so. I've been thinking lately about a best-selling novel of a few years back, Gabriel Garcia Marquez's Love in the Time of Cholera. I haven't read it. I have no idea even what it's about, but I've always been captivated by the title, Love in the Time of Cholera. What is love in the time of COVID-19? Well, it is just what love always is for the disciples of Jesus. It is humility and service. Humility in that we cannot know what the Lord is doing or what it means for us. Service in that caring for one another is still our mandate. That will look different for each of us. Perhaps it means making masks to take to the hospital. Perhaps it means, if you're able, helping out at Interfaith Food Ministry or or some other agency that is um, in this uh, in this time, serving those even less fortunate than we, even more threatened than we, perhaps it means checking on a, on a neighbor or, or telephoning someone that you know is alone or frightened. Certainly, it means praying, lots of praying for all manner of people in the midst of this crisis. But in all these things, it means turning your eyes away from your own fears and concerns, and it means looking toward Christ, who so calmly washes our feet and our spirits and our hearts, and it means looking toward others whom Christ loves, serving them, loving them in whatever way we can. It is being mindful but not fearful. There is a prayer ascribed, I believe, to the English philosopher James Martineau, not really an Orthodox Christian, but an eloquent writer. But This prayer contains a line that has always stirred me. It goes like this. 
since we know not what a day may bring forth, but only that the hour for serving thee is always present. May we wake to the instant claims of thy holy will, not waiting for tomorrow, but yielding today. May we, in in other words, serve one another in humility as Christ serves us and love one another as Christ loves us. That is our mandate on this Maundy Thursday. That is Christ's commandment and Christ's promise. Yes, it is an incredible night, this Maundy Thursday, unlike any other. It is in some ways a a desolate night as we sit alone, the altars of our normal existence stripped until there seems to be nothing left. But though we cannot be together, though we cannot wash one another's feet, though we cannot gather at the table to receive the gracious gift of Christ's body and blood, still he is with us, even in our desolation. Still, he brings that sense of calm and peace. Still, he loves us, loves us to the end. Still, he teaches us to love one another as he has loved us. And for us right now, that is enough. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.